Hey everybody, Chuck and Stacy here with VO Buzz Weekly. Guess what? We are back with part two with the fabulous Crispin Freeman. Let's, Let's get, get buzzed. buzzed. Turn it up. Get ready. You're tuned in to VO Buzz Weekly. Weekly. And now, prepare to get seriously buzzed with your hosts, Chuck Duran and Stacy J. Aswan. For people that don't know, and, and we want to make sure your website gets out there too, the mythology scholar mm, okay. part of your fabulous personality. Sure. How did that like how did that come to you and what is it that you feel um, obviously it's helping your trajectory as an actor and mm -hmm. as a teacher. Mm -hmm. So where did that interest come from? Right. So I, I have this website called mythologyandmeaning.com which ha is sort of the home for my mythology scholarship. The reason this came about, it was because when I was in grad school, I went to Columbia University for my uh, acting master's degree. Um, and this was boot camp. I mean, we were not sleeping, doing acting all the time. And I was getting my butt handed to me. I mean, there, I, my, my artistry sucked, my <laughs> romantic relationship sucked, everything sucked. Like, it was just bad. And I had to try to figure out what I cared about, what, what, what mattered to me. And during that time when I was in grad school, I rediscovered, uh, well, I, I came across two things. One, I rediscovered my love of Japanese animation. I had always loved animation as a kid, all kinds of cartoons. Right. But I had a special uh, place in my heart for specifically Japanese animation. I loved my giant robots and, and magical girls and all that good stuff. And so I, when I, because I was doing school in New York, there was a store in New York called Anime Crash that sold anime on VHS tapes. Remember VHS tapes? Yeah. And so I was able to reintroduce myself to this stuff from my childhood that had spoke to me on such a deep level. At the same time, I was introduced to Joseph Campbell's work on comparative mythology. You know, Joseph Campbell wrote this very famous book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces where he outlined archetypal hero journeys cross-culturally and his scholarship greatly influenced George Lucas as he was making the original Star Wars trilogy, episode four, five, and six. So Campbell became my Rosetta Stone to help, he was my decoder ring, to help me understand, help my conscious mind understand why my subconscious was so attracted to Japanese animation. Like he was helping me, un he was, I, I could see the matrix, right? I, 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 could, yeah. I could see the storytelling blueprint under what was happening. And it was deeply, um, it was deeply rooted in the mythology, in, in the religious traditions of uh, the different cultures. So uh, religion is a, is, a, is a big, broad thing that includes, you know, narratives and rituals and sacred spaces. Mythology is the sort of storytelling aspect of any religion. And of any religion, it is usually the mythology that lasts the longest. We may not know exactly what they did at the Oracle of Delphi, right. but we have the stories. Right, those right, those right. tend to live the longest. And so it was that storytelling, and it was that archetypal hero journey type storytelling that I realized, that's my thing. I'm not so much an Arthur Miller guy, <laughs> you know. I'm I a, can break it down, baby. I'm, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm a Luke Skywalker, Lord of the Rings, never-ending story. You know, like this, this, this is fairy tales, grim fairy tales. That's my bailiwick. That's what I'm on about. Mm -hmm. And when I found my center like that, Campbell actually talks. It's the same thing James Joyce had to do when he was trying to find his center as a writer. And, and I think any artist has to do. They have to, you have to figure out what you care about. Mm -hmm. um, and I figured out that's what I cared about. And then it was off to the races to try to research as much of this stuff as possible. Because as much as I love Joseph Campbell and all of his scholarship, he didn't really care for pop culture very much. But all the mythology that I was seeing was pop culture. It was all mm -hmm. films and animation and, and, and comic books and things. And so I wanted to be able to decode that. And so that's where that began. 
I started doing presentations at conventions, trying to find people who might be as interested in this as I was. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was feeding me on two different levels. One, it was feeding me as an artist. It was helping my artistry because it was giving me this amazing x-ray vision into characters. And I, oh, this character is just like this character from mythology, but with this twist, I get it now. I can see the pattern, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was helping my artistry. But even more importantly, it was helping my uh, psychology. It was helping me emotionally. It was helping me actualize as a person. It was helping me spiritually. And so it was that sort of one-two punch that I found so so powerful about this mythological storytelling. And then what happened was somebody found out about it and asked me to present at a academic conference. And so I started doing that and it was a huge success. And then I started developing all these different presentations on anime and on, on film, sci-fi and fantasy films and whatnot. And that's uh, much of what's at the website right now. Yeah. And I'm in development on doing a podcast on it as well. Oh good, wow. yeah, because I watched a ton of it. And it's, it's fascinating, it really yeah. is yeah. because and I think it also, well, my, my feeling is for you as an actor, I mean, as you said earlier, you know, your life experience is layered into the characters that, that you create. And so I think, you know, it's not a mystery that a character like Winston or characters that you have just so completely embodied that it's, it's cellular for you. It's not just words on a page. And I, I think it's the difference between um, portraying something on the surface and being marinated in it. Mm. So when a white person raps, <laughs> it's not always terribly believable because it's like, yo, yo, word to your mother, what, what, you know. And that was good. Right, right. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> and so it's like, it's sort of this Beastie Boys type of rap. Yeah. Not to yeah, yeah, the yeah. Beastie Boys, but that's like right. white guys rapping. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to someone who can actually flow, you know, yeah. as I walk the streets of Hollywood Boulevard, thinking of how hard it was for those who starred in the movies, portraying the roles of butlers and maids, slaves and hope. Like if you're actually doing like Big Daddy Kane, Eminem flow, then there's something that feels authentic, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so when I look at mythology and I look at these character types, you can look at something like, say, The Seven Samurai, the famous Japanese film, which was remade as The Magnificent Seven right. at, with cowboys, right? And so you can say, oh, samurai and cowboys. They're, it's the same, they're interchangeable. No, they're not. Mm -hmm. They're not because the samurai have a different mythological uh, motivation than the cowboy. Completely. Yeah, the yeah, samurai code. work from a sense of a social or um, uh, a, a sort of code of honor that is impersonal. Mm -hmm. The more they become personally invested, the less they are a samurai. So there's the famous story about the guy who goes to kill the man who killed his master, and the guy he's gonna kill spits in his face and it makes him angry and he puts his sword away and won't kill him because then it becomes a personal vendetta, right? Right. This is the opposite of the, of the cowboy. The cowboy at high noon stands on his own beliefs. And his own beliefs of justice are very personal and they're very usually biblically oriented. Like this is how, this is right and this is wrong mm -hmm. on a sort of cosmological justice level. That's not really how the samurai works. No, and no, so if, 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 this is great, yeah, right? I yeah. swear to God, I feel like I'm at a conference right now. Yeah. I'm actually learning, this Good. is great. But That's if funny. you don't understand yeah. that, yeah. then you end up playing a cowboy like a samurai and a samurai like a cowboy and it feels it's, inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like bad food, like it's not yeah. cooked right. Mm. Totally. And so it's that, that's the difference between the actor that we say, oh yeah, that actor's good and hire that one. That, they, they know what's up, right? Mm -hmm. They are on it. Mm -hmm. and, and that I have found over and over again is what has gotten me some of the most notable roles that I have played. Yeah. Yeah. Is because I could suss the character on such a deep level that they said, oh, there's no one else who can play Absolutely, that, that like has to essence, come through. The, and then when you think, too, about 
you know, like in Young Justice and things you've, projects you've worked on where something could go on for years. If it's really about just, oh, this is my funny voice, so, you, you know, it really needs to have some kind of an arc. Well, especially if you're playing a character that doesn't have a funny voice. Mm -hmm. So like in Young Justice, I play three, no, spoilers guys, I play three different characters that are all clones of each other at slightly different ages. Mm. Yeah. And I didn't know that when we first started playing, uh, first started doing the show, but then later they say, yeah, you, you can't change your voice that much because you're all a clone of the same guy. One's at 17, one's at 22, one's at 36, or whatever yeah. our ages happen yeah. to be, right? Yeah. yeah, And I'm like, crap. If I can't change my voice, I'm just gonna sound like a bad actor, right? They expect me, and so I have to get deep into the psychology of each of those characters, because they come from a different place, if I'm gonna make those characters sound different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the classic story I like to tell is about the character Itachi that I play in Naruto. Yeah. And so Naruto, you know, he has this friend Sasuke, who's sort of this young emo kid, and his older brother Itachi shows up, and is just a bastard to him. Like, he pins him up against the wall and says, you don't have enough hate, and you know what? You never will. Right, and it's just he's just nasty, yeah. And so the very first episode, we're doing it, and I'm and I'm looking at this, and I'm trying to find his psychological center. What is he about? And I go, you know what? I think he loves his brother. And they're all like, no, he's a bastard. He's evil. I go, no, no. If he was just evil, he'd kill him or ignore him. He's paying far too much attention to his little brother mm -hmm. not to care about him. I think this is a boy named Sue situation where he's trying to toughen him up so he can survive. All the fans are like, no, Itachi's evil, he's horrible, he's terrible. Five years later, it's finally revealed that Itachi did all of this to try to save his brother. He loves his brother yes. more than life itself, and he's really a good guy. And they're like, oh my God, he's your right. I'm like, call it's it. It's a revelation. You're right? like, that's my epiphany five, that's so five years ago. Right? Yeah. All right, before we go on a yeah. break, we gotta hear you rap one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I drink above the Hennessy you've got on your shelf, so just let me introduce myself. My name is Humpty. Pronounce with an umpty. All you rappers in the top ten, please allow me to bump thee. <laughs> Available on oh. iTunes. Yeah, on okay. Spotify. <laughs> one more rap, one uh -oh. more rap as Winston. Alright, as Winston? As Winston. Of course. I love it when you call me Big Papa. Throw your hands in the air if you're a true player. I love it when you call me Big Papa. <laughs> Only here. Only here. That's Only right. here, folks. <laughs> oh my I gosh. So, I mean, comparison, expectation, mm. yeah. those mm. are concepts that swirl around not only in this career, but in life. You don't say. Right? <laughs> this is my epiphany, okay? Um, how do you, uh, one of the many things I love about you is you, you really are true to the drum that beats within you. Mm -hmm. And how do you keep a healthy perspective amidst all of that? How do you keep the balance? He's so, thinking. yeah, yeah. So I, I think that the thing that I found most helpful was this notion of, uh, and I think I, I first heard this clearly articulated by Wayne Dyer, and it was the idea that you have this part of your brain, which you can call the inner critic, mm -hmm. or the monkey mind, or the ego, right? And the inner critic is there to sort of wrap your knuckles when you don't do things the way other people expect you to, yeah. right? It, it, it's a traffic cop in your head. Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, it wants to keep you, it, it's good, it keeps you from getting hit by cars as you cross the street, but it's not necessarily the best person to go to for life advice, right? right? Like right. it's not gonna give you the journey of who you should, what you should do or who you should marry or right. whatever else you're gonna do in life. And so the, the notion, this, this internal critic in your head usually judges you on three ideas, right? It, it, it says, 
you are what you have,、mm. you are what you do, and you are what other people think of you.、Mm. Right? You are what you、right. have, you are what you do, and you are what other people think of you.、Mm-hmm. And 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 that's what it wants to say. That's you. In、uh, nothing else. That's it. There's a problem though. There are people, hopefully, in your life who love you. If they do, and they love you honestly and truly,、yeah. do they love you because of what you have,、yes. what you do, or what other people think、mm-hmm. of you? Yeah. No, they do not. They love you. So what else is left? Everything is left. Yeah. Like the、yes. totality of you as a、yeah. person is left. Your heart, your soul, your your character, right?、Mm-hmm. So this do have and what and reputation is just this little piece of the iceberg of an entire human being. And so that's when you have to sort of be the Buddha and go sit under the tree and say, "I am not. I am not listening to you. <laughs> like、right. I am not、yes. listening to the world. I am not listening to the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. This is all ridiculous. There must be something in me, the sort of Vajra lightning bolt, the thunderbolt inside of me that is, you know, permanent and powerful. And if if I'm having problems, it's because I haven't let that out yet." I've restricted it. I've judged it. I've let other people hold me back in、mm-hmm. some way, which is me still judging myself. But that that without that lightning bolt inside of you, then there's that's actually who you are. Yeah. And so it it it, it often takes being quiet. You know, going on a vision quest if you need to. Yeah. But yeah. finding the gold inside of you. That is the powerful thing, and not allowing the monkey mind and the internal critic to、mm-hmm. say, "Well, you're you're nothing. You're that." No, that's a that's a、right. tiny part of who I am.、Right. Do you ever battle、right. your monkey critic still, or or are you? Oh sure, that, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. There are times when you think, "What the hell am I doing? Am I in the right place?" Because you change over time,、yeah. right? Um, and, and I mean, I I had a monkey critic that jumped in my head as soon as I tried to do the podcast. You know, I was I was working. My wife, who's a wonderful partner of mine, helps me with a lot of what I do, and so I was bouncing ideas off of her. And we said, you know, you know, a really good name would be voice acting mastery. I think that's that that sort of I'm into mastery. I'm into rigor. I'm into discipline. That that would be a good brand, I think. And and my, immediately my monkey mind said, oh, but you're not a master. How how dare you? How、The、dare you say? The audacity of it.、Yes. Right. How dare、yeah. you、yeah. say you're a master? You're no Frank Welker. You know,、mm-hmm. you're no whoever, and and I and that's what my wife said. You're not saying you're the voice acting master. There's no V. Yeah, you're like right. Good for her. You're saying good for her. Voice acting mastery with Crispin Freeman. Yeah, that mastery is something that I am always striving towards. Yeah, and hey, come with me and let's strive towards it together. Yes, but there was a there was a huge psychological. Battle that I had to do with myself、mm-hmm. just to be able to to put that out there as, hey, yes, I'm into mastery. There are some things I have mastered. There are other things I have not. And、yeah. when a topic comes up that I haven't mastered on the podcast, I go ask someone who is. I say,、yeah. you, you are a master on this. Come on the podcast and talk to me about it.、Yeah. And then I'm as rigorous as possible at trying to understand and break down what they're saying in such a way that the audience can understand it well.、Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, it. man. I love it. Have you ever? Been burnt out. Oh yeah. Said I just I don't want to, and thought about taking a different path. And if so, like how did you push through that, or how did you sort of? Well,、that? sometimes it's not pushing through, and it's accepting it.、Mm-hmm. Um, when I was young, I started in the opera, got into theater, was really into theater. When I was young, 
my hero was Gene Kelly. I wanted to be an actor, singer, dancer, and be yeah. an American in Paris. I just thought this was the coolest thing ever, right? Yeah. And so, and then I thought I was going to get into film and TV. And then I was in New York, and I literally, I got in a show on Broadway. I was acting with Anthony LaPaglia and Allison Janney and Brittany Murphy and doing all this stuff on Broadway and regionally and everything. And I went, uh, this is not working. You know, which most people would say, that's insane, what are you talking about? You've yeah, got this great yeah. theater career in New York, what's, what's wrong? Yeah. But at that time, I had just gotten cast as my first lead role in an anime series called The Slayers in New York. Mm. And I was more excited to play that anime role than I was about being on Broadway. Mm. And that's when I had to go, I There's something here. think <laughs> I need to go in a different direction. Yeah. Wow. Right? Yeah. And so that, and some, sometimes it is saying, all right, this direction isn't working, I'm gonna change. Yeah. And people say, oh, you're quitting. I'm like, you're damn right I'm quitting yeah. because mm -hmm. it's not my bliss anymore. Yeah. Yeah. This is my bliss, right? Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's finding a creative way to recombine. So the other thing I was doing when I was in New York is I was sound designing. I was, I was a hacker when I was young, computer programmer. And back in the late 90s, computers were just getting fast enough to be able to do professional quality audio. And I was in theaters where I'm like, guys, this should all be on mini disc decks and we should all be running off Pro Tools. What's wrong with you, right? And so I was, whenever I wouldn't get cast in a show, I would offer to sound design the show because it kept me in the room. Mm -hmm. right? A lot of art is just who's in the room. So it kept me in the room, kept working on stuff. And there was this fabulous sound designer called Darren West who's won a million awards. And uh, he was sort of my um, guru. And he, I would help him, and he sat me down once over lunch. He said, Crispin, you're a good actor and you're a good sound designer, but you're gonna have to make a choice. Mm. You can't do both. Mm. You're never gonna be professionally competitive in New York City trying to do both at the same time. Right. Make a decision. Mm. <laughs> or you're like, why not? <laughs> and I said, you know what? He's right to a point. I don't think I can both act on Broadway and be a Broadway sound designer at the same time. However, there is this voice acting thing uh -huh. where I can both act and use the fanciest sound equipment on the planet at the same time every damn day. And so... Isn't that something? Yeah, so here is this creative way I found yeah. to blend these two things. So mm -hmm. it's, it's usually one or the other. It's either, you're right, this mountain is too tall to climb and I'm not going to kill myself climbing because I don't love it enough. I'm going that way, right? right. Yeah. And the other is to say, they say I can't get there. But if I get in this hot air balloon, which no one thought of, yes. whoop, off I go. So it's it's usually it. one or the other. It's usually yeah. saying, you know what, this isn't this isn't my bliss. My bliss has changed. Yeah. Or this is my bliss, and no one has figured out the way to do it the way I can. Exactly. Watch me. I'm going to make it work this way. So why don't you tell us how you know? Because obviously, you know, uh, performing operas and theater in Chicago, you know, grad school, Columbia University, the whole thing. Then you're like, wait a minute, I think I'm going to do voiceover because I can do voiceover and play with little buttons and sounds and sound waves and all that stuff. And so, <laughs> what led you to come to Los Angeles and pursue this massive career? Yeah. Well, uh, I had been doing theater in New York. Right. I've been on this theater track all right. through school and uh, in grad school, and I but I had rediscovered as an artist, right, the anime and the Joseph mm -hmm. Campbell, so yeah. that was feeding my soul, but I was still working professionally as a theater actor. Like right. I, I didn't have the concept of being a voice actor. That wasn't really in the cards. And I was at a theater festival, and when I was on breaks, I would watch anime. Um, and then I would go back and get on stage and do my show. And one of my friends at the theater festival caught me watching anime, 
And he's like, oh, you like this Japanese stuff? I'm like, yeah, shut up, shut up. I'm watching Evangelion, shut up. You know, like, and I was just into my show. And he goes, I work on the dubs in New York City. You know, we, we do some of the dubs. Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, oh, hell no. The dubs are terrible. I don't want to have anything to do with them, right? <laughs> but then I stopped and thought, and I realized that all the dubs that I had listened to, and mind you, the dubs that I didn't like were some of the dubs from, like, the 80s, which were a little, <laughs> Yep. Um, but a lot of the dubs that I listened to were my introduction to anime. And I wanted to make that introduction as good as possible. And so I reconsidered and I called them up. So change my mind. Let me, let me try. <laughs> right? Let me see if I can get I in love the, that. Let me get in the industry and see if I can make it better. Yeah. Right? This is again the difference between the critic and the artist. The critic says it's yeah. bad. The artist says, how do we make it better? So how do I make this better? And I said, Great, here's these guys. And they wanted a demo. I didn't have a demo, but I had been producing a radio theater company. And so I had this Edgar Allan Poe story that I had done as a radio theater play with mm. sound effects and everything else. And so I sent that. Totally the wrong thing to send. <laughs> but whatever. I guess they thought I didn't totally suck. And so they called me in. I, got, I auditioned. I played this one little bit part. And that went relatively well. And then they were recasting one of the main characters. And so I went to my anime store and I watched it and I tried to voice match him. And I came in and I was trying to voice match him except the original actor had a tenor voice and I'm a baritone. It wasn't really. And the director was like, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to match the guy before. Isn't that what you want? He's like, no, no, no. Just do it your way. And I was like, oh, thank you. Okay, I'll do it my way, right? And so I did it my way and they said, you're cast. And so mm. it was sort of off and running. And it was this thing I did on the side until I realized I was more passionate about it. And so then it was, okay. I want to do this, but I want to do this on a larger scale. I've, I had maxed out in this sort of New York marketplace, mm -hmm. and um, my wife, who, who was my girlfriend at the time, had come to New York, and she was going to go to school there, but then there was weirdness with the financial aid that was stupid. She got in, but then they got stupid, and we, and we suddenly thought, you know, this is the wrong city. If we want to be in animation, we should probably be in L.A. And at the time, there was a convention for the Disney series Gargoyles, and some friends of ours were running it, and so we went over, and I met Greg Wiseman, and we're now friends, and he said, I'm working on this Team Atlantis animated series, we'd love to have you. Um, Talison Jaffe and Jonathan Klein were working on this anime series, a bunch of anime series, and they said, we'd love to work with you. I said, let's go to L.A., you know, so we moved out to L.A., and I decided, okay, let's do that. And, and my wife went to animation school at CalArts, and I got into the voiceover industry here in L.A., and that's where it sort of... Yeah, I felt like I had had hit the place that was comfortable for me because I was never a New Yorker. Yeah. Like, I mean, I lived, I survived in New York. It's a very nice city to visit, <laughs> but I don't like to live there, right? Oh, come on. No, it's glorious. <laughs> New York is a roller coaster. It's a yeah. blast for the first two weeks. And then I'm like, right, can no. I get off? Enough already, no, right? No, because I always say to Chuck, you know, because I'm from New York, it's like living in New York and visiting New York are two different Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah. So, love, yeah. and I love living in cities. Chicago, London, yeah. Boston, you know, like, no, but New York? Yeah, eh, New York not, is no joke. It's not my city. Mm -hmm. So, I got to L.A. and everyone's like, oh, L.A.'s terrible. And I got to L.A. I was like, I sort of like it. <laughs> so, initially, what did you yeah. like about it? Was I there was, something? It was a resort. Every time <laughs> right? I woke up in the morning, it was quiet. Great. The air was clean. There were palms. Palm trees the everywhere. There were mountains. There was nature. It's There's happy. Like, the only nature in Manhattan is that little piece of greenery across the Hudson from the cloisters, on like, <laughs> the upper, on like way the hell up next to the, the north side of Manhattan. I was like, you people are nuts, you know. So I mean, love getting a corned beef sandwich at the middle yeah. of the night on a bodega, but yeah. <laughs> it was it was just not my bag. So it was a great place for me to go to school. It was a great place for me to cut my teeth. But right. it wasn't going to be the place I was going to spend the rest of my yeah. life. Yeah. And so when I got to L.A., and everyone had been bad-mouthing L.A. so much, and I was like, what's so bad? I don't get it. Um, and so, yes, I'm, I'm far more comfortable here yeah. in Southern California. I love That's it. awesome, man. Yeah. Um, 
Crispin, yeah. what do you think have been the keys to your longevity? Um, and I mean, success is like a kind of a bizarre word because it means different things, you know, it's kind of this. But I mean, obviously, you have success. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. you know, <laughs> I but do I my mean, best. you know, but everyone, you know, like it's like the way we perceive success is well, different know, than the way the world is, you know, because sometimes you can say, I'm doing great, and maybe the world says, oh, but you don't have this many followers, and you're not doing this, and you're. So, so we're, we're back to the monkey mind. Yeah. Because the monkey mind says, I am successful or not successful based on how I compare myself to other people. Right. Right. right? So right. this person might think I'm a success, but that person doesn't, so I'm no longer a success. Well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. That's a horrible definition of success. Yeah. And now we go back to, let's get rid of the fluffy bunny actor talk and come down on some good Greek philosophy definition of terms. What is the definition of success? How do you define success for yourself? I steal it from Earl Nightingale. Okay. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Nice. That's exactly it. That's yeah. it. That is the, it. Totally. the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Whether you achieve it or not, and no matter how far along that road you are, you are a success if you are still going towards you're in what motion, you want. As long as you're in motion. As long as you're yeah. going towards that thing, you are a yeah. success. Mm -hmm. and, and, and when you think of it that way, then you go, oh, there's never going to be a point when I arrive, because wouldn't that be boring? Yeah. Right? I mean, if you had a leprechaun that could give you everything you wanted tomorrow, you know, wish, 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 I get everything I wanted, you'd be like, What do I do the day now after? What? what do I do now, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's exactly what Tolkien talks about in Middle Earth with yeah. Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. The elves suffer because they live forever and everything is so boring. Mm -hmm. So they have to create these magical rings that create places like Rivendell and Lothlorien where they can have this glory of the sort of eternal platonic forms of idealistic living yeah. because the world of humans and dwarves and, there is and hobbits is really yeah. bubblegum. The flavor goes yeah. out real quick, yeah. Yeah. you know? And so if, if you're looking for this ideal of success that is somehow this is the amount of money, you're, not that there's anything wrong with setting those goals, right? Absolutely, set those goals. But once you reach that, reach that goal, you're gonna want more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? And so if you're progressively realizing a worthy ideal, then that will give you a sense of satisfaction, what, what uh, the Greeks would call eudaimonia, which often is translated as happiness, but is closer to a notion of satisfaction. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. I've done good in my life, yeah. or I'm doing yeah. something useful or meaningful. That's, and that's why I call my website Mythology and Meaning. Like, that's what we, as, as, as animals, we are the animal that hungers for meaning. Yeah. And usually that progression of a worthy ideal gives us a sense of meaning, and that's a satisfaction that no one can take away from you. Yes. Very, yes. very good. I love very it. Well. Yeah. Very well. Very well. I, I, I think I, I might yeah, have no, hijacked you your question. I mean, can, no, but contentment, I think, is No, I think is you really answered important. her question you and did. then my question that I was going to yeah. ask, but don't need to ask Super now. Great. Um, <laughs> what do you What do you still want to accomplish in your life? That was going to be my next question, <laughs> Stacy. I think uh, what I think I want to focus on more now is uh, my mythology scholarship and getting that out in different ways to my audience. Mm -hmm. I've been very much focused on the voice acting mastery side of my life and my business in addition to my voice acting work. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's gotten a little big, and I think uh, it's wonderful, but I think now it's sort of, it's got momentum. Yeah. And I think that I, I would like to put a little more of my energy towards um, my scholarship, because I think that's the part that's calling to me now.
Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean I need to stop my voice acting, no, uh, which right. is which is wonderful. Um, and, and no, no, and 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 that I mean that's the wonderful thing about voice acting is that. And it's a reason why I'm a voice actor and not say an on-camera actor Mm -hmm. is because I get to work where I live and live where I work, right? Which means that I have far more flexibility in my schedule to do my scholarship stuff. You know, when when, and 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 it's it it, it gives me equilibrium. It's the thing that Harrison Ford did when he was acting. When he wasn't acting, he was being a carpenter. Mm -hmm. It gave him something to do and it gave him a center. So he never felt desperate. And so people, there are times in my career where things get slow. And in the past, I would freak out. I'd go, oh, I'm not doing enough voice acting. And now I'm like, oh, it's slow? Great, I'm gonna work on my mythology stuff, right? Like, I'm gonna go go do this other thing that enriches me and fulfills me, and that's going to be its own thing. So that's Mm -hmm. that's a lot of where I'm sort of turning my energy now. Um, After that, I'm not sure. There are some stories I'd like to tell. My my wife is a a classically trained animator and she's a comic book artist and she's working on some of her projects. There are some projects we'd like to do together, some other stories I'd like to do, and usually I think of them in sort of comic book format. Um, So there may be stuff, but that's probably further down the road. The immediate thing that that is calling to me, the itch, is uh, is probably my mythology scholarship, and I have a couple of irons in the fire about how that. Well, might I bet you do. About things. I bet you do. So, Love man. it. Well, so cool. Speaking of mythology. Oh dear. Oh, this is more mystery. We're going deeper um, than anything you've talked about. This is a mystery yet. question. <laughs> if you just want to pick a card. Okay. And um, if you want to read it, in, as Chuck always says. Uh, your favorite character. <laughs> my favorite character. character. Yeah, one of your favorite characters. <laughs> You ready? Yeah. Yes. Okay. How do you define success? <laughs> ah! <laughs> and I'm not lying. Get out of here. Rewind the lying. video. Wow. That's what it says. How, how do you, do you think, define okay, success? How do you think Winston would define success? That is hilarious, by the way. I always say everyone gets the card they're supposed to get. That right? That is hysterical. I mean, that's kismet right there. Right? Um. I think Winston would define success if he could inspire as many as people as possible to pursue a worthy ideal. Mm. I think what Winston looks at, and, and you can see this in the very opening video of the game, which is on YouTube if you want to watch it, yeah. um, and it's him with a webcam trying to figure out the webcam and talk to it, but it's all about, you know, someone's got to do something, we've got to do something, right? Yeah. We can make a difference again. Yeah. Um, and, and this idea of living up to that worthy ideal mm. and not, um, not giving up. So, I may be getting this wrong, but of the seven deadly sins, I think it's uh, sloth is not just laziness, it's not just sitting around as a couch potato, it is not believing in your own ability to achieve salvation. Mm. Now, in a Christian paradigm, yeah. that means salvation in a Christian heaven. Yeah. But um, the the um, what's the term? Um, ah, I can't remember. But whether whether that goal um, is enlightenment or oneness with the universe mm-hmm. or whatever that larger idealistic goal might be, um, that that is achievable. That that isn't impossible. Yeah. Yes. That 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 cynicism should not take over. Um, yes. And true. There are times when I can get I can look out at the world through Winston's eyes and be incredibly cynical about the state of affairs of things. Yeah. Where got, we I think, my God, we are a 
dumb species, right? We are just stupid animals and we don't deserve to live. You know, like we just, we cannot handle anything. We're just ridiculous. We're such children. Um, and I get really sad and I, and I get down on stuff. And then I have to go meditate and sit under the Bodhi tree and do what is ever is necessary for me to reconstitute my own mm -hmm. vitality. Mm -hmm. I have to put my mask on first before I help others. Yes. And, and, and then I feel like I can come back with some sort of uh, idealism. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it, and it, it, in, uh, when I was young, one of the stories that spoke to me very deeply was The Hobbit. And I was very much in love with the old Rankin-Bass animated version of The Hobbit, mm -hmm. which today is still one of my favorite films, yeah. uh, with so all of its good. flaws, yeah. I still love it. But there is this moment where Bilbo Baggins is walking down the tunnel towards Smog. He's come with all the other dwarves, and they're all cowards. None of them will join them. And he's mm -hmm. going down, and he says, here is where you face your true battle, Mr. Bilbo Baggins. You know, after anything after this means nothing, right? right? right this right. is it. Yeah. And what is he doing? In traditional fairy tale storing, you're supposed to kill a dragon. That's the goal of the story. Here we are in a fairy tale. We haven't even seen the dragon yet. We know he's down there, yeah. but we haven't seen him. Who is Bilbo fighting? He's not fighting the dragon. He's fighting his fear his of the fear dragon. Of the dragon. Yeah. And that, and he goes, you know, will you turn back? No. And then he goes for it. And it's, yeah. the, same, it's the same notion that I hear in The Lord of the Rings, which I wish they had put better in the live action, but exists in the animated version, where Aragorn, Strider, we know him as Strider, right? He's yeah. met the hobbits at the Prancing Pony. He's in their room and, you know, he's trying to convince them to follow him. And Sam Wise goes, I still don't know if we can trust him, Mr. Frodo, right? right? right. Yes. And, and he goes... You know, I've told you, you have no choice, Sam. And there's this wonderful scene in the animated version with John Hurt as the voice of Aragorn. He goes, because if I wanted the ring for myself, I could have it now. And he pulls out his sword, which is the broken sword, uh, Narsil. And he goes, I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Right? So he is identifying himself as the future king of all of Middle-earth. I am Aragorn, son of Arathorn. If by my life or death I can save you, I will. Mm. So this is the king of the world saying he will sacrifice himself for the smallest creatures in the world. Yeah. Mm. That is noblesse oblige. That yeah. is idealism. That is, all right, I don't care what it takes. That's real, This is going to happen. This yes. is Captain I'm America. Right now, absolutely, dude. Yes. I got to tell you, dude, I, I am so top, happy Captain. that we finally got your butt in here. Such a it's joy. so overdue. In I know in because I, you know nobody thinks like you, Crispin. I mean, you just like man, you go. And I got to tell you, like just sitting here listening to you and listening to your stories, and it, it, like I get inspired because you know that the solution to everybody's problem is just changing the way that you think. think. Yeah, there is no problem. Well, I love that that's the saying, when you change the way you look at things, the things you, you look, look at change. change. Yeah. Right. It's the Heisenberg yeah. uncertainty principle. And, yeah. yeah. And I just I just love that you your, your, your mind just works in such beautiful ways of like, you know, just look at things in the right way and the truth will appear. You know what I mean? Um, it's so cool. Well, most oftentimes yeah. we are the yeah. obstacle in our own way. Always. Yeah. yeah. Always we are the biggest obstacle in our own way. Absolutely. Which is why most trilogies... And this is from my wife. She figured this out. It's fantastic. <laughs> Most trilogies, in the first film of the trilogy, they fight the enemy. 
Yeah. In the second film of the trilogy, they fight themselves. Yeah. And in the third film of the trilogy, they change the world. Yes. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And you can see this with Luke Skywalker, right? Totally. He, he totally. fights the Death Star, yeah. but then he has to fight himself in Empire, yeah. Yeah. and then we have to overthrow the Empire totally. by the end of the story. Like this yeah. Every time. Yeah. The Matrix, yeah. Uh, just over and over and over again. So awesome. And so the, the labyrinth is thoroughly known, Dude. right? We are so happy to Point have there, you man. here. You are <laughs> such you so a much. joy and a oh, gift to the world. And you're always welcome. Here. Absolutely. Well, thank Crispin you. Freeman, ladies Crispin and gentlemen. Freeman. And uh, hey, we're going to be back next week with a whole new episode, so check it out. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I just got buzzed with Chuck and Stacy. And I want you to always remember to love the art in yourself more than yourself in the art. Well, that concludes our two part episode with the awesome Crispin Freeman. It is awesome. Oh, my gosh. So right? Great. Yes. We're going to be back next week with a brand new episode for you guys, so check it out. We will. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe and leave us some comments below if you liked it. We love you guys. Thanks for watching. And just remember, you, you always, always have, have time, time for, for a, a little, little buzz. buzz. Listen to VO Buzz Weekly, watch the show in stunning HD video at VOBuzzWeekly.com on their YouTube channel or on the app. VO Buzz Weekly is sponsored by Chuck Duran's Demos That Rock. Rock. The voiceover demo producer to the stars is now available to you. Visit DemosThatRock.com and take your voiceover career to the next level. See you next time. And remember, you always have time for a little buzz.